This is Viterbi Voices, your chance to hear stories about research, classes, student life, and more. Directly from our students, faculty, and other members of our engineering community. All right here at the USC Viterbi School of Engineering. Welcome back into Viterbi Voices. This is episode... 132. 132. As usual, I am one of your hosts. My name is Paul Ledesma, and I am the Director of Undergraduate Admission here at the USC Viterbi School of Engineering. And my name is Audrey Roberts. I'm a junior studying mechanical engineering here at USC. So, Audrey, what is our episode all about today? Um, This is a really fun episode to kick off sort of a short alumni series. Um, It might be long. We don't know yet. That's true. It's the beginning. That's true. It's not a short episode. (laughs) That's for sure. Um, But um, this is with um, a former, actually, what has now become Viterbi student ambassador. So what I am and what a number of the people on the podcast are. Uh Um, And his name is Ali Fakari. um, And he's super cool and has done a lot of kind of Venture-related and business-related work after graduation. He studied chemical engineering here. Um, it was a cool conversation. We talked about a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went to Harvard Business School after USC. So we got a little bit of a perspective into that because um, I think engineers are increasingly mm-hmm. interested in that path. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Fun. I mean, it, Ali is a really cool guy. I've known him a very long time. And he was the, the first to kind of jump on this idea of – being part of what I hope is going to be a continuing series of conversations with alumni. And he graduated with his chemical engineering degree with a petroleum emphasis in 2002, has since done some amazing things and even working with Beyonce. So stick around to the end to hear about it. That's at the very end. Yeah. We have to work down the titles more. Uh, (laughs) But uh, enjoy this conversation with Ali Fakari. Uh, And I I apologize in advance for a lot of the the old man storytelling that happens. Uh, But uh, we're basically taking lots of paths down memory road. And I think it's a great example of showing how engineers do lots of different things, as as Audrey was just Mm -hmm. mentioning. So enjoy Ali Fakari. Well, welcome, welcome to our podcast. We've been listening. You've been listening. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a follower. You're a follower. I didn't know you got merch though. That's yours, man. That's all, that's all yours. Oh, that's all mine. That's all yours. That's this your merch. Dope. You take that with you. Who, yeah. uh, who's making this for you guys? I do. <laughs> Made in China. Delivered no, no, here. No, no, we. I, I designed that. This is dope. That's all our stuff. I love this. Um, Staminous. Yeah, it's all you, man. It's all you. You can have that. My wife will love this. She'll be like, yes, 100%. Yeah, it's like stuff dope. We, we give out for admission and stuff like that. It's dope. Different student events. And, and then we uh, we branded the mug with the podcast. And uh, we give, uh, all of our uh, all of our uh, visitors in the podcast walk away with the mug so they can, they, can, they can advertise it as they go. Listen, you got to live the brand. <laughs> How, uh, what's the kind of composition of the listener base? Mostly like students or like? I mean, depends on what stat you want to look yeah. at. Like there's Spotify stats. There's Apple, Apple. podcast stats. Uh, there's our SoundCloud stats. But, but when you look at like demographics if mm-hmm. that's what you're getting at those are all different demographics yeah. so you can't really yeah you can kind of make somewhat of a composite out of them but um they're basically 20s yeah. like low 20s oh. um and um so it's still like young alums 
it's something like that. We, yeah. The whole goal is we push this out to prospective students. Sure. Um, but who listens to it is all over the board. Sure. Um, we, could be we parents. Could be, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of current students that I think listen to it. Um, probably in like first year. So like our goal yeah. is we're hitting prospective students and first year students nice. and telling the story of the school and telling the story of like what students are doing here. And there's a lot of like student org stuff. And so hopefully our current students can like, Oh, that's cool. I really want to do that. Or our prospective yeah. students can see possibilities of things and then faculty get highlighted and then we push it out to prospective students all the time. So, and what's the kind of, uh, engagement beyond? So once something is, you know, taped, then do you get like a lot of questions and feedback? Like what's the we've back gotten, and forth? We've gotten some, yeah. um, and it, it, it kind of just turns into, it's similar to like our website, yeah. right? Yeah. The more stuff we have out there, yeah. the more right. people are going to pick up on it. Yeah. And we, we create this more as a content archive, Yeah, if that means anything. No, for and sure. And so we can create, like, for example, the playlists, right? Yeah. So we have organized playlists around academic disciplines. And so Audrey will curate, you know, anything related to electrical engineering into the electrical engineering playlists. Right. And so earlier this year, any student that had listed, any prospective student that listed an interest in electrical engineering, we said, hey, by the way, there's this playlist you can listen to related to your discipline. You just so, email them and say, yeah. take a listen. Just email and take a listen. No, I think, you know, as I uh, kind of mentioned, a bunch of friends are doing the podcast thing mm-hmm. for the brand, right? Mm-hmm. So you talk about content strategy, I think it makes a ton of sense. Then it's how do you tell the story, yeah. right? So whether you're selling products or you're doing advertising, which is still pretty nascent, you want people to engage, mm-hmm. right? You want it to be something where they feel like there yeah. is someone else on the other side. Because it's one right. cool thing to have a great conversation and hopefully people are listening. But beyond that, it's like, so what? What do I do with this? Right. And the fact that they hear, well, this is what's happening on campus, this is what faculty are doing, this is what staff are doing. And here's what's really hopefully enlightening for them. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to get engaged. They're yeah. more likely to... You know, say, oh, well, MIT doesn't have this. We have no. this. Yeah. I mean, we, we find some good response. It's really hard, right? So prospective students, for example, uh, and we talk a lot about this in the BSA group where it's like our job during the fall is to create content and then just like I talk about this metaphor of like we just like throw it off the end of the of the uh, <laughs> of the Grand Canyon. And we and we hope that there's a bunch of students. We know that there's a bunch of students down there. Yeah. Uh, and so like Audrey's blogging and, and all the other students are blogging and they're, we've got a social media feed and they're just, yeah. you're just going out there and you're yeah. just hitting as much as you can. And prospective students from an admission standpoint, they tend not to engage mm-hmm. so much. Like some people think it's like, you know, should I, should I not? Yeah. Is that too much? What should I do? I'll get, you get some like with Instagram stories, for example, yeah. there's questions that come in and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like if we post a poll or something like that, but I think it's a little harder with um, the podcast just because it's not obviously like inherently a medium that you but you can, can use with. exactly i think you can use both as feeders right yeah you can have a poll about the pot and be like did you listen to this episode it did xyz uh, as, yeah. you know something that because yeah. i think part of the fear uh or anxiety around getting involved especially as a perspective is you don't want to feel like you're you know too engaged mm. like that's you don't, the issue yeah yeah you don't want to come across like oh it's that person who's right. you know <laughs> right be banging on my door and coming up with a thousand questions but at we, the end of the day you want those people <laughs> but, but we get it at the yeah. other side so for example we had our big event in november yeah. november 16th the expo and people come up and be like hey really love the podcast or like hey we're really, thanks for doing the podcast totally. we're listening all the time or 
when they're admitted, they're like, oh, we've been listening. I mean, we had one student, uh, we'll do a shout out right now, Braden Risto, yeah. if he's listening. He, <laughs> he sent an email because we emailed him like that playlist stuff. Yeah. Like, and, and it was just like one of our like, hey, you're interested in USC. Have you listened to the podcast? He's like, he's like I just I, I just can't believe I got an email from you because I've been listening since episode 43. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, That's what you want. We're going to be episode 130. What? 134? Yeah. Oh, look at this guy. Okay. Oh my look gosh, I don't even know. <laughs> we don't even know where we're at right now. Yeah, we just... Did you film one before me? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I think that level of engagement, especially when you can personalize it, mm-hmm. it's next level. Yeah. Because now you have them. You're yeah. like, oh my God, you care about me. It's not, I'm not just, you know, another application. Our whole goal is to educate, right? You know, what's the school about? Yep. Uh, and these can be deep dives. Yeah. And it could be for lack of a better term, it's passive. Yeah. Students can decide to jump in when they want to jump in yeah. and how often they want to jump in. And we just keep producing. And the more that we can be relied on to produce, we're good to go. Well, speaking of which, yes. let's start talking about the metro. Let's talk about you, man. But I'll, wait, man. remind people or tell people where you're from. You're from the local area, right? Yeah. So I grew up in Southern California, mm-hmm. up in Northridge, where the big earthquake was back in 94, if you... Uh, Remember that really dating it. yourself. Audrey was probably like two. No, Audrey wasn't born yet. <laughs> I wasn't even born yet. You have no sense of what college <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, so are, you, are you Gen Z then? I think so, yeah. Like, put it this way. The kids applying yeah. this year will have been born in 2001. Oh, my God. Or 2002. I don't even remember the dot-com bubble. It's like, <laughs> what is a bubble? Yeah, the, uh, the story of 94 Northridge was it seems like yesterday to me were you but in high school that was high school yeah. i was at granada hills magnet and great great program it's now a charter school i think mm-hmm. um and we had some amazing alums that came out of there i didn't know this till a few years ago but uh founder of uber went to granada okay. yeah travis he's a granada grad and uh john elway back and even further back than that um, Audrey's from Denver. Denver. So there you go. Your team hasn't done well, and uh, no. he's he's definitely being <laughs> looked at. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, we had some amazing, amazing friends, and I still keep in touch with them. I actually had lunch uh, right before this with a buddy of mine that I've been friends with since elementary school. So oh, yeah. elementary, junior high, high school, and USC. Really? And ironically, when he went to SC, he's Marshall, I'm Viterbi, and... We lived together all four years. Did you really? So we were at Floor Tower. Yeah. First year. What floor? Uh, second floor, second which floor. was ideal because the elevator there is so slow. <laughs> so <laughs> we would literally just run up and yeah. down the stairs to the cafeteria and whenever we need to go to class, it was ideal. Second and third year, we got uh, City Park, the apartments right off campus. Mm-hmm. And then fourth year, we basically took over an entire house on Menlo. So Menlo is like, you know, you know, this is, you know five this is. blocks off campus. Yeah. So, so you graduated in 2002? Yeah. Okay. So I graduated in 2000. Right. So, like, so which is yeah. weird because you worked for me in my first two years. <laughs> this is where it all starts. Exactly. Because like when I start here. Ambassador like, days. Yeah, the ambassador days. So like, this is when we started the ambassador. So, so you know, Audrey okay. and I. Yeah. Let's Aud- give Audrey some <laughs> background on why are we even having these kid conversations. <laughs> yeah. So Ollie, class of 2002, chemical yeah. engineering, correct? I get my job here in September of 2000. Okay. And in January, we start the Engineering Student Ambassador Program. Okay. okay so basically, three months in, we start this ambassador program. And it's kind of like, hey, who wants to do this thing, right? And did you start right then in January, or would you yep. start in the next, for your senior year only? 
I don't remember exact start date, but I do remember one thing vividly. He would walk around with a camera at all times and like just snap pictures and <laughs> just say, should I be posting this? And you know, this is before social media. So we're like, where is this going? And lo and behold, now you see in his office, you've got like these archives of just how many students have come up yeah. through Paul's incredible ambassadorship. Yeah, that's wild. There you go. Oh. Oh, you found one. Stuff everywhere. You found one. There's, there it there's is. The first group. Oh my There's goodness. all these. It's crazy. It's There's really Tracy. Dusty. I mean, this is like a cohort that, again, is close to home. So, so it's interesting. So we're, we're starting this conversation of like, let's get alumni to do it. And so what do I go to? I go to this class. And so there's Ali who says he's doing it. Tracy, we're going to get in January. Oh, yes. And then Jason, who's in Australia right now, Jason Scott, where is he? He's here somewhere. Right there. He's in Australia. He's a special effects guy. Um, he's next week. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So all this dust is from all these photos. <laughs> yeah. This is how old we are. Even our pictures are dusty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the cleaning staff doesn't get up there. Oh, um, man. That brings me back to the good old days. But yeah, I mean, talking about 20 years ago, this was like basically 99, I remember vividly as being 20 years ago because you're just trying to figure stuff out. Like you're a sophomore and yeah. you don't know how well you're going to do, where you're going to go. And I'll never forget this. One of the mentors that I had um, basically said, you're going to change careers six times in your career, in your uh, professional career. I'm like, six times? Are you kidding me? No way. Like, I'm going to pick one or two things and yeah, that's you're, it. You're studying chemical engineering. I chose yeah. that because it's the one thing I'm exactly. going to do. Exactly. That's, be the that's, money maker, right? that's the mindset, right? Now, you're like, you tell someone six times, I'm like, that's it? <laughs> it could right. be ten times, right? Mm -hmm. Because... You see how entrepreneurial things are going, how many different opportunities there are out there, and the paths that you can take can yeah. pivot very fast. Mm -hmm. So I think this is probably the best time to have especially a degree major that allows you that flexibility. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw that list of, you know, top five and lowest five majors mm -hmm. based on, you know, different metrics, mm -hmm. but engineering is one of the top because top. Yeah. you're problem solving. Yeah. <laughs> That's helpful in any career, regardless mm -hmm. yeah. of, you know, what the vertical is. But, um, yeah, it was a formative time for sure. That haircut, sure. Jesus. So that, so, that, <laughs> so that, that's the beginning of this is that, uh, Ali was one of our first ambassadors. Okay. And, and then kind of that group, the, this, these two classes basically helped kind of start build out. This is like the next year after that, uh, helped kind of like build out what, became the structure of what you guys do now. I mean, granted, awesome. we weren't doing a podcast at the time. They didn't exist. Should have. Um, Should have filmed everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jason will have more stories of some of the stuff that we did because okay. he helped us build uh, something else. But um, the reason I jumped in is that, oh, my gosh, you know how weird this is, is that because I started here in 96. I graduated mm -hmm. in 2000. And my freshman year, I lived in Floor Tower. Sophomore, junior year, I lived in City Park. And then senior year, we lived on Ellendale. No way. Yeah. And then what's weird is that, like, for my first year working here, me and a buddy took over a house on 30, 30th. Jesus. So it was like this weird. <laughs> so many parallels that you it's can't a lot of weird imagine. Parallels. But Menlo, it's funny because the one of the businesses that my friends have started is now called Menlo House. Like, they branded it that. Yeah. Because there was eight of us in that house in an eight-bedroom place, you know, old school. Kind of, uh, we had to turn it around, you mm -hmm. know, paint everything. But literally, you're in that place and you're like, this is like a dorm. 
Yeah. This feels like yeah. a dorm, even though it looks kind of, you know, somewhat like a frat house. It's yeah. like a dorm. Yeah. Everyone's doing their thing. And lo and behold, all these guys are business majors and they're all doing business stuff. So where did my life trajectory, first career change take me? It was business. Hmm. It's kind of crazy how your environment affects that to some extent, even though you might have, as you said, the best plans. Right. Sometimes things just change. Well, let's talk about the plan. Yeah. So you're in high school and you're coming to USC to study chemical engineering. Was that always the, the plan in high school or what, what What was the thought coming out of high school? Yeah, I think, you know, the the high level plan was I knew I wanted to be in science. So I love chemistry. I love physics. Um, so engineering kind of always had that. Uh, where it all came together. Yeah, I just had that draw. But I also thought maybe medicine. Do you right? have engineers in your family? Yeah, my dad's an engineer. Um, I have uncles, you know, tons of tons of engineers. It's a Persian thing. Petroleum <laughs> industry? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Got to have something in that world, especially coming from the Middle East. All but, friends with Ushagi? Right, exactly. Ushagi, <laughs> Meshkadi. You know, you got the, you got the whole uh, Persian clan. Um, but no, it, it was just like, they're very open. They're yeah. Like, you know, do something you're passionate about. Right. And my dad, he's a mechanical engineer. Mechanical engineers do not love chemistry. They're like, ah, oh, keep that away from me. He's like, yeah, it's a just different world. But he knew I had a passion for it. And he's like, yeah, of course, do, do what you like. So, and I thought maybe medicine and the story of your wife passing out just maybe my wife didn't pass out. The nurse passed uh, out. Sorry, the, the, your wife's nurse passed yeah, out. I don't want to start telling stories. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's going to hear this and be like, what are you telling people? <laughs> Literally, I had that same experience in high school, senior year. We had this project where you're supposed to go and do something related to chemistry and just go and research it. Yeah. And my professor, she was a mentor. I'm like, anything? She's like, yeah, anything. I'm like, I want to go to the L.A. County Crime Lab. And I want to see how they do forensics with chemistry. Cool. Yeah. You know, from DNA analysis to, you know, uh, just looking at all, all kinds of spectroscopy, all those things. I'm like, okay. I went. The first room that they walk us into was the photo room where they have photos of crimes that have been committed. Oh, jeez. I passed out. <laughs> so <laughs> imagine I'm like literally five minutes into this Gruesome interview photos. looking, you know, around this room and I'm just like, okay. Passed out. They took me to the bathroom, brought me some like crackers and like, are you going to be all right for the rest of this tour? Like we just started. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'll be okay. But it was that moment that I knew. Probably medicine is not the best thing for me. <laughs> like, I can barely deal with this from sight. It's just a photo. Right? Imagine, imagine the real thing coming out. So that was uh, probably the best push toward chemical engineering was yeah. like, this allows you to have a mix of both. But at the end of the day, it's problem solving. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you create opportunities to learn as much as you can, regardless of the field, right. and apply it to you know coming up with creative solutions? So you go... You start studying chemical engineering, and were, did you specialize in anything? Or yeah, so I had a petroleum emphasis, petroleum obviously, emphasis. Okay. Uh, with Doctor Shaggy's uh, pushing. Um, <laughs> he's very persuasive. Oh, totally. And <laughs> to, his, to his credit, I mean, National Academy. He's yeah, he's he's the man, the giant. So and hilarious. He, oh, yeah, his stories are the best. So he's like, he started the Comet program, which was California Oil Mentorship and Entrepreneurial Training. Comment. Uh-huh. And he's like, you should get into this. I'm like, all right, how? He goes, well, do you have a car? I'm like, yeah, thank God I have a car. He's like, there is a refinery off the uh, uh, Santa Barbara coast. There, There's a, a rig off the Santa yeah. Barbara coast. And they're looking for interns to help them. I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, whatever I can do. It's like, all right, 
turns out it's Exxon. <laughs> he didn't tell me that. He's like, there's just <laughs> a small company that is doing like, you know, rig work. I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting. Before you know it, I am on a helicopter going to the rig awesome. as part of my internship. I had an office. <laughs> I didn't have an office at Bain. So imagine I am a 19, 20-year-old intern with an office at Exxon in uh, near Santa Barbara, and we're taking helicopters back and forth to the rig wow. doing core analysis. I'm like, how did this happen? Like, it was that fast. And wow. it was just because he recommended, look, there, there are opportunities for you to learn and kind of see these things. So that was on the upstream side. And then on the downstream side, two years, uh, uh, junior and senior year, I did internships at um, when it became ExxonMobil after they merged at the Torrance Refinery. So backyard, wow. basically doing all kinds of, you know, uh, jet fuel analysis all the way to diesel and uh, unleaded. So it's crazy. Hey, y'all, sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to let you know that we have a number of campus visit programs available to you right now. If you want to check out what campus is like, if you want to learn more about the Viterbi School of Engineering, go to viterbi.link slash visit. That's V-I-T-E-R-B-I dot link slash visit, where you can learn about our Viterbi visit experiences that happen on most Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We have some virtual events that happen on occasional weekdays and occasional Saturdays. Plus, we have some transfer virtual admission sessions where you can learn all about how to get those courses ready for transferring. We want to meet you. We will have lots of opportunities opportunities to do it and it's happening all summer long but get your registration in now at viterbi.link slash visit hope to see you soon that's great that's right off of uh el segundo yeah oh my gosh yeah that's amazing so how long were you there so that was just my internships that was, so that was internship. okay. freshman uh basically sophomore to senior years and okay. then i got an offer from exxon for full time um and turn them down <laughs> because all those crazy friends I was telling you about yeah. who, again, it's just environment and what worlds you're in. One of them uh, was really passionate about consulting. And I remember he had a sticker that he had put on his ceiling. So whenever he went to sleep, he would look at it and it had <laughs> Bain, BCG and McKinsey written on it. Oh my I'm like, what are these companies? Right. And I'm like, I have no idea. Right. He's like, that's where I'm going to work. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, talk about planning. Uh-huh. He, he was building these affirmations in his mind and basically said, those are the only three firms that I want to work with. They're the top tier consulting firms. I'm like, okay, cool. He's like, you should interview. I'm like, I'm an engineer. What do they care about? Like, what I've learned. He's like, listen, they want problem solvers. You have that. Go and pick up some of these books and figure out what kind of cases they're actually going to interview for and see what happens. So I go and I pick up some of the vault guides and, you know, look through them. And before you know, I'm like, this is really interesting stuff. Like problems that math, obviously, we can solve, but then business-related math. It's multifaceted. Right? Exactly. It's not just how many ping-pong balls can fit in a 747, which they ask non-engineers because they know engineers will pick that stuff up Mm -hmm. pretty quick. (laughs) It's like, what is the size of the, you know, off-road market? Like how do you size how many people are actually going and driving off-road and how do you get from second place in the market to first place in terms of market share? Hmm. And you have 45 minutes to analyze that, ask questions and come up with a solution. So it was fascinating. I'm like, and you do this for all kinds of industries. It's not just, you know, engineering related. It's healthcare. It's, you know, tech. It's 
you know, biotech. There is a lot of specialties that you can go down. So for me, just coming out of school, that was really fascinating. So it was mm-hmm. hard to tell Exxon no, but at the right. same time, it was super exciting to be like, you know, I want to learn about all these other fields that are right. out there. It was the right place, right time. Totally was. And, and if my friend hadn't had that thing on his ceiling, mm-hmm. I would never have even thought of it. Yeah, you, you'd have been uh, oil and gas this whole time. Totally. Right. Which, probably not a bad thing. Probably not a bad thing Oil either. prices are. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we're moving away from that, so... So you went, so you, you started at Bain directly out. Yeah. Right. And so you went and worked on a couple different guys. I seem to remember you being involved in Harris. Harris, that was probably the most fun. Um, yeah. Cause it was Vegas. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Vegas at the uh, peak of, you know, Vegas dumb, right? This yeah. is 2005. And my boss was the head of marketing, acquisition marketing. So it's like, how do you get new clients in? So one of the brands that they had just bought, she goes, I want you to work on that. I'm like, what is the brand? This sounds really cool. She goes, it's called the World Series of Poker. And I am a huge poker player. I'm like, are you kidding me? You want me to be part of that? She's like, yes. Chris Moneymaker had just won the World Series of Poker a year before. Yeah. So this is, this is when it's getting big. It's exactly. like ESPN's about to pick it up. And it's just all exactly. Right? And my whole job was brand marketing. So it's how do you get those negotiated contracts with ESPN we built a uh, video game with Activision. We brought on all this kind of merch that created that brand mm-hmm. beyond just what Binion's used to have. Right. This is like now a living entity. And now it's like one of their biggest moneymakers. Like they bought, uh, Harris bought from Binion's the World Series for roughly $40 million. By the time I was leaving, this is again two, two years after Moneymaker, mm-hmm. it was valued over half a billion. Wow. <laughs> so 10x, more wow. than 10x. And crazy because it's a brand, right? It's not a big moneymaker for uh, for the actual casino yeah. because it takes up space, right? right? Those big tables, right. you take a the small percentage. Yeah. It's not a big moneymaker, but it's a draw. It's where everyone wants to be. So if you have the World Series of Poker in your property, everyone's coming there. And whether they win or lose, they're going to end up at the craps table or blackjack table. Mm-hmm. So the economics of it yeah. are really fascinating how they uh, converted that. So, yeah, that was one of my... Most fun clients for uh, for sure. And when did when did Harvard come into play? So this also was right around that same time because okay. I got my call that I was accepted when I was living in Vegas because I'll never forget I was running up and down the halls screaming like <laughs> I can't believe I'm in um, in uh, in Vegas at that time. So this is two thousand uh, sorry two thousand four, and I got into the class of oh seven for okay. uh, HBS. Wow. Okay, great. So, and what was Harvard Business School like? Like people, I think there's, there's lore and legend, like <laughs> Harvard Business School, whether yeah. you want to take it from a political standpoint, yeah. whether you want to take it from a, you know, these are the masters of the universe that come out of this place. Um, yeah. Taking the ego side of it out, because there's certainly a lot of that. It is, it's a phenomenal place. Mm-hmm. And frankly, it's not because of what you're learning. It's because of who you're surrounded by. It's incredible people. Every year, it's 900 uh, admits, so 10 classes of 90. And those 90 people you become, like, best friends with because you're in class every single day looking at cases. Case studies are the Harvard method where basically you say, all right, this is what Johnson & Johnson did when they had to recall Tylenol, for instance. How did they do it? What did they do? Like, what would you have done? And now you're hearing from 90 very different people who are very ambitious but don't necessarily have all the same backgrounds and all the same ideas. 
and you're sharing those concepts with them. So you build this really incredible bond. And that's what business school is for. If you're going there to, you know, change your perspective on life, that's, you know, those are the kinds of transformational experiences you're going there for. Mm -hmm. If you're going there just to make more money, there's a lot better ways to just make money. So I would say for people, because I talk about this, um, you know, with ELB, which we'll talk about later, there is so many different ways that your career can go. An MBA is not necessary. It's not like getting an MD. It's not like getting a JD where you're specifying what you want to do. Hopefully what you're using it for is to meet amazing people and expand your horizons of what Mm -hmm. you can do Mm -hmm. and potentially even figure out what you don't want to do. So I think that's the value of being in a program like that. And that's a full-time program or you're working at the same time? You're full-time. That's two years full-time. They have executive education. They have part-time. Now they're even starting to do online uh, kind of distance education like SC has. But like for Harvard, if you're going to go there, you do the two-year program. That's what you want to be because that's when you get that FaceTime with your cohort for, you know, two years. Yeah. Okay. Second year, it changes to a whole new cohort. When did you decide you wanted to go to business school? I think it was my second year at Bain. So Bain's first year is already like a mini MBA because they're teaching you how to understand financial models, how to build, you know, business cases. So you get a really high level sense of that and you have to get into the weeds of it from a client standpoint. But it's very much here is a great idea, Mr. CEO, Mrs. CEO, go and run with it. It's not you are helping run that. So for me, business school was an opportunity to be a lot more operational. So I wanted to kind of get into that entrepreneurial world. And I felt like by seeing how many different businesses uh, have been built, especially by uh, alums, I could be part of that infrastructure and build that network to be able to make it easier once I'm done. Right, right. Makes sense. Do you ever, I'm curious, because I do think, you know, engineering, like we said, is fundamentally about problem solving. So it does apply to other fields um, more broadly than people think. Mm -hmm. But did you feel in business school you could really bring in some of those technical skills specifically or was it more just sort of the mindset? I think the specific things that are really helpful are things that are math related. So if I was to tell you we're going to do a regression on this business and identify, you know, what is the probability that we'll get to a certain outcome, that stuff is really valuable. And that's stuff that your business friends don't really know or (laughs) use as much, right? So I think the mathematical side of it, absolutely. From a technical standpoint, I think it really depends on what you're trying to do. Right. So if you have, let's say, a computer science background and you're great at developing apps, that is the perfect place to be able to test that where you can say, oh, my God, I have this cool thing. I can build it really fast and then I can prototype it in a business atmosphere to say I'm going to sell a product, you know, direct to consumer on Instagram. Cool. I'm going to do that. It's not a I need that skill set. It's where can I use those skill sets and then bring other business people around it to help expand it. Right. So you might have a friend who's genius at marketing, right? And she might tell you, you know what? Facebook and Instagram is actually too expensive. You might want to do your own blog. You might want to just create your own platform. And when you have an audience, then you can start to market out and do direct to consumer. So I think it's being in the right circles. That's what business school is really meant for is to identify spheres of influence that you can be around. Hmm. And what is something that you, I think you might've already answered this, but like, was there something that you, you had this like aha moment in business school that you didn't achieve 
uh, in your you know undergraduate and then your years of working? Was it was it that thing? There's the fact that it's yeah. just the people, or is there actually a skill set? I think the the biggest aha moment, what they would actually call a transformational moment, mm-hmm. is ninety nine percent of business is people skills. Yeah, it's relationships. Yeah. That's it. So yeah. a famous professor um, would always say. All things being equal, you do business with people you like. Mm-hmm. All things not being equal, you do business with people you like. Mm-hmm. So you have the opportunity to connect and create, hopefully, lifelong relationships. And it's your character and your credibility that yeah. allows you to keep those things going. Because yeah. a lot of you, we've seen this you know, with so many examples of companies which have mind-blowing valuations and just you know, the most kind of corrupt and crazy business people behind them, right? And it's unfortunate because they had all those opportunities. And if they were core to what they actually believed in, they would have potentially done even uh, more great things. But the ones who are successful, the Warren Buffett kind of, you know, hierarchy, those are the types of people that really create earth shattering change in business. And those are the people you want to keep around you. So for me, uh, to answer your question, it's identifying and filtering through who are those people that you want to stay connected with yeah. and developing bonds with them. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, necessarily a mentorship or, you know, I have to do business with this person. It can just be a friendship. Yeah, it can just be something yeah. that you foster over years. And yeah. we haven't seen each other in a while, but when we do, we pick right yeah. back up. Those yeah. are the types of things that I think differentially um, set businesses that are super successful apart from those that don't is those types of people who have that mindset. Hey everyone, this is Paul. Sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to let you know about a new feature we just unlocked. It's about sending us questions or comments via text. If you go to your podcast player, check the show notes. There's a link there that says, send us a question or comment. It may be on our next episode. So go in there, send us a little quick text message. Let us know what your questions are. Let us know what your comments are. We'd love to hear from you. So we can't wait to see it. Now back to the episode. So you, you, you get out of Harvard and do you go back to Bing? Yeah. Okay. So, so right yeah, there. they sponsored me for two years. So I had a yeah. at minimum two yeah, year commitment, commitment yeah. but I went back for an additional few, uh, just cause frankly, it's one of the best places to learn. Right. And that's, I was still learning a lot at that time. Um, but it took me a while to figure out I want to do this on my own. Right. So probably in about 2010 timeframe, I was like, all right, this is time for me to venture off and start to think about how to apply this problem solving to many of the different things that uh, are being seen, especially here in LA, mm-hmm. a lot of celebrities, a lot of athletes. And they would ask, you know, my advice, especially through friends, what do you think about this? There's mm-hmm. a business idea I have or they something I want to get into. They need some infrastructure behind them. Exactly. So I was like, all right, I'm always happy to help. But then I'm like, there is a whole opportunity here that's not being fulfilled by their agents, their managers, their wealth managers. I can help provide some semblance of business modeling around that. And then what I started to realize is even on the investment side, they're, they're not surrounded by the same level of people that they need to really be savvy investors. So that's what's differentiated now in the kind of celebrity sphere. You either have very, I would call them uh, sponsor endorsement specific. It's like I just slap my name and face on something and let it go. Or you have people who are, you know, moguls. They want to be their own brands and they want to control that entire business atmosphere. So we tend to be on that side of the spectrum. It's like working with people who 
really have a passion for something and credibility around it, but apply it in such a way that's very analytical and business focused. Right. So you're not working with the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to go. <laughs> Let's just say I'm not going to Calabasas a lot. No, uh, 100% right. Paul knows his, uh, his audience really well. Um, yeah, I mean, and to their credit, they're making lots of money, but it's in a different it's, world. Yeah, yeah. I think consumers today, and Audrey can speak to this, they're savvy. They know, like, what matters. They're yeah. not there to, you know, just buy something because someone tells them to. They want to have a why behind it, especially young consumers. There's mm-hmm. got to be some sort of engagement with them. Mm-hmm. And the psychology of that is really interesting because the more credible you are, the more likely it is you're going to buy something. I was talking outside about this or with respect to Jessica Alba and, mm-hmm. you know, the whole Honest aura company, yeah. that she built around Honest Company, even yeah. though there's been a lot of issues with that. Yeah. But there was that aura. There was that trust yeah. that existed. You can say the same thing about Gwyneth Paltrow. There is this following that they have that's super tight, but is there a right business model around it? That's the second part of the equation. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I think it's super interesting even um, more recently to see how consumers are so tied to like companies being ethical and sustainable. Mm -hmm. Even in like my own lifetime, I've really noticed as a consumer myself thinking about, you know, the clothing you buy and things like that so much more during my time at USC than before. It's, it's, it's tectonic shift over the last couple of years as to, is this a company that I want to give my money to and are mm-hmm. they going to use it well? Mm-hmm. Um, and is the product going to be serving some sort of other purpose, whether that's social good or whether it's going to be not contributing to a larger problem? Um, this idea of zero waste or this idea of sustainable manufacturing or just the whole thing recently with clothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, oh, these are the uh, the whole uh, Simon Minaj. Uh, did you see that? Oh, yeah. Of Patriot Act? H&M and, yeah. you know, Zara, how much waste they produce. Just those Fast two companies. Fashion, yeah. It's crazy. It's nuts. You that's wear it cool. once and you throw it away. Right. So this is that's an issue. Do you think that type of – so you brought up the classic uh, Tylenol recall. Classic business case. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's the marketing aspect of it. There's the manufacturing aspect of it. There's the Social creating impact. the false yeah. sense of safety. Yeah. All they had to do is add a little layer on top of this in a cotton ball. And like, that's what, that was the whole thing. <laughs> or the, the safety salt. lock. Yeah. Or, like, like that was, that's, like everything about medicine now is all based on this one Tylenol recall that <laughs> Literally. happened when, when, when I was a kid. Exactly. Like, it's, uh, it's still being studied. I read about this, like in <laughs> yeah. bio or something. Right. That was in my textbook. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's like, it's like studying the JFK Nixon debates. Exactly. How to present yourself as a politician. It's still being studied, but like it's very different now. Like, why are we doing this? So, anyways, totally lost my train of thought. Do you think that those could also because information is so much more you know readily available? It's yep. more fast moving. Um, there could be more false positives as far as what is a problem, but but we're still dealing with different problems that we didn't talk about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you think that HBS or or consulting groups like that are, are they? dealing with these problems now for, to create new business models around it or they have to the answer is you know there are too many dynamic shifts that are taking place now mm-hmm. for companies to deal with on their own so they need these external advisors to mm-hmm. help them because they're so focused you look at what amazon's doing right they have 50 different business models within the same company yeah. right between aws and you know all their direct, you know, uh, brands that they're helping build on the platform that have nothing to do with Amazon before. There are real problems that 
they need to be able to address, but they don't necessarily know how to do it. So how mm-hmm. do they do it? They bring in advisors to even say, is this an area worth exploring or being part of? So is there profitability there? Is there growth there? And then how do we do it? Should we buy our way in? Should we go and acquire a company or should we build it ourselves? Should we go and hire the best people to come in-house to do that? It's a whole landscape of really operationalizing these strategies because the strategy sits at 50,000 feet. It's, is there an opportunity and how can we solve it in a very efficient way? Then it's, okay, now how, now we know how and why. What do we do? Right. Do we go out and let's say with, uh, Amazon example, they have acquired more companies in the last 10 years than almost anybody. Right. Because they know we need to be in these markets and we need to have the expertise to do that better than anyone else. Right. Well, that's an interesting question. Do you think from your point of view that profitability is the first thing that came out of your mouth? Mm-hmm. And I think it's because that's the first thing that's of concern for a company. Obviously, mm-hmm. they have to be accountable to their shareholders, shareholders yep. and, and, and they need to be able to be making money and there needs to be growth. There's Q1, Q2, Q3. <laughs> How are we doing? And, but with this other kind of influence, which has nothing to do with profitability, which is sustainability, social good, all these other issues, is that going to get loud enough where that they're going to be able to be okay for a two quarter loss? Because like when you brought Amazon, we got the whole last mile issue. Mm -hmm. We've got the whole um, labor and logistics partners. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got all the warehouses and all the issues that have been coming up there. I mean, there's, there's so many like news stories I can think of in the last six months like, is that a bigger deal or are they just kind of like marketing their way out of it or are they creating the partnerships where it's not their problem? Because that's one of their claims too. So, sorry, I'm putting me on the ask, spot here, but well, let a, me ask you a, a question, question. that will help answer this. <laughs> have you heard of Amazon Smile? No. Yeah. You have? See? Yeah, so. The young people have and our age has it. And this is, this is going to answer your question. Go for it. Yeah. So you, if you buy things on a specific Amazon link, it's like Amazon.smile. You can choose what you want to donate to, and they donate like a percentage of every purchase to that charity. To make you you feel good for doing that? Exactly. Exactly. And you actually are okay with this? I occasionally (laughs) smile. You want to, so like, I'm going to, I don't necessarily feel this way, but I'm going to just propose this in a really opinionated way. (laughs) So you're going to feel good about some sort of atrocity in labor laws. I mean, by but, donating a quarter. I see you on Amazon. And <laughs> no, no I, I, I told you right now. I told He's you right playing now. devil's advocate. I'm playing devil's advocate because I don't go to Amazon Smile. I'm fully aware of what's going on. And I, and I will actually say, I'm not Amazon. Yeah. I'm just getting the service and I want it faster. That's it. Exactly. And also, I'm like, I'm not my wife who is actually Googling the products and what your wife will be doing very quickly if she's not already as far as like, um... All of the toys need to be uh, not natural materials. Oh, yeah. Like, organic like, wood? Like, really? Yeah. Like, how can wood not be organic? There's so many different choices yeah. you're going to run into down the road of, like, what needs yeah. to be organic, what not to be I'm like, right. it's a wooden block. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's going to put it in its mouth. We can't, and... have, we can't, have, we can't yeah. have plastic toys. Are you kidding yeah. me? Like, so, like, I, I, yeah. there's a limit for me. But like you're using this feature and you're using this feature because that's making you feel like that's like it's freeing your conscience or no, because it's like five extra characters to type in and then it's just like less money going to Amazon. And doesn't, doesn't that make mo- you feel good? Let, let me ask this question. Is it less money going to Amazon or their partners that are selling you the product? 
That's a great point. That's a great point. It's more of the latter. So, so Amazon's going to make their money. I don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't think <laughs> Amazon's creating something where they're losing their profitability. Yeah. That's my point. Jeff, like, Jeff is not taking a massive hit. But to answer your question, they did it from a strategic standpoint. Someone came to them and said, look, you're going to deal with the same problems that a Nike with, you know, mm-hmm. sweatshops back in the mm-hmm. 80s had. You're going to deal with the same issues that Facebook is now having with privacy and, you know, mm-hmm. all the listening in. You have to deal with these things in certain ways. Create technology that helps that. So what they did is say, all right, we're going to create this engine that sits exactly parallel to what we've already engineered with Amazon. That's called Amazon Smile. Same products. Just different model. We are taking a percentage and giving it to a cause that you like, that you like. We will still make the same profit because our cogs are the same. What hopefully our partners realize is by being on our platform, they are now also giving back to these causes. So if you are a brand that's selling cell phones and you want to sell it through Amazon, you better believe that someone's going to come by and say, I want that for 2% more, but that money might go to my favorite nonprofit. Right. And they're hoping for an increase on volume to make up for That's that it. giveaway. And hopefully they're they're likely being able to write off that. That's it. And this tax write-offs are a whole different, uh, you and know I bet how much Amazon's Amazon cre- pays. I bet Amazon's <laughs> created a model of saying, Amazon's going to write it off and right. the partner's going to write it exactly. off. Exactly. Like, double dip. Yeah. It's, it, it's... So I'm kind of curious too, how has your perspective changed coming from an engineering background to then going into a business background? Because I think... Like, as a freshman in engineering, you're so naive. Like, I can change the I'm going to change the world. And, like, I'm only going to do good. And you don't... I mean, this definitely isn't true for everyone. But the the driving factor, maybe, when you're solving a problem, just, like, solution problem, isn't what's the most profitable thing here. It's what's the coolest, best engineering solution. Yeah. How do you, you retain that? Because that's a good thing. But then make it realistic in that... You know, solutions do have to be profitable. And yeah, you know, how do you keep both of those in mind? Yeah, I think it's an important reconciliation, right? What I realized is there is no black and white. When you're in, especially an engineering program, you feel like there's a right and wrong answer to everything. And frankly, with the mathematics of it, yes. When you start getting into the human factors, when you start getting into social impact, when you start getting into the politics, man. There are so much gray area and so many things that deviate from what you consider right versus wrong. So a lot of these companies now that I'm working with or these brands that are coming up, they have to deal with these same issues. They have to say, sure, we might take a hit on profitability if it means that we stay core to our mission, that we're going to help people, we're going to you know, give back. But others turn around and say, we don't care about that at all. Like, we are just in it for our shareholders. And, you know, go ahead and think what you want, but this is what we do, right? And there's many examples of both sides of that. What I'm trying to, you know, step back and think as a freshman around this is it's not going to be easy answers, right? You have to deal with that uncertainty in the real world, which is often harder for someone who doesn't have that ability to say, all right, well, at least the data says this. Right. So that you can use as 80% of your answer. The other 20% might be squishy and gray, but at least you have that foundation. A lot of folks will just say, all right, well, the policy says this, so we're doing this. It's like, well, what does the data say? <laughs> like, what do, what do actual people want? What does society need? Is it good for us in the long term? 
those are the bigger questions that I think more people are starting to become, quote unquote, woke about, um, which I hate uh, as a word. But these are the things that people talk about now. And back, you know, you brought up the point, Paul, about just having access to that kind of information. You didn't have that back then. You didn't yeah. just go and search something and say, oh, my God, look at what the carbon uh, imprint of this company is. Now you can see those types of stats and see what they're mm-hmm. doing to hopefully remedy it. Well, that's interesting. That's where I was about to go with this, which is I find it interesting, and this is more of a statement, not really a question. This amount of information that this current generation coming out of high school has is almost to the detriment of themselves, mm-hmm. where like they're not willing to like see what's going to happen. They want to be able to plan and predict or prepare and curate their future. Mm-hmm. And in a, in a sense, they don't they don't make themselves malleable. They don't. They don't open themselves up to opportunities. They, they some students in the most extreme become very tunnel visioned, or when something gets in their way, it's a complete breakdown. Yeah. Of like, I, so that what else am I going to do in my life? And just already in our conversation, we talked about all these things that just you basically opened yourself up to influence, yeah. and that shifted where you went. Totally. And uh, it's with more information is a lot more, you know, potential challenges and opportunities right mm-hmm. so i think the biggest thing that sets people apart when making decisions now is are they able to filter through noise right but there's a reason why they're saying spend less time on your mobile device because it just creates more noise in yeah. your ecosystem and so if you hopefully follow just things that um are helpful that's one thing but even those things might not open your mind to what else is out there so how do you filter to not just be in you know, this bubble and how do you create opportunities to learn while hopefully not getting caught up in stuff that's just random. Right. So part of this just comes down to, are you able to diligently manage your time? And I think this is one of the things that, again, hopefully schools are doing a better job of, and you can talk about this with what's happening here on campus, but like time management, mindset, being okay with failure like these are real world problems like when we talk about like what are you going to be doing day one when you graduate this is the stuff that becomes really important it's not did you necessarily ace every single class sure that's great it shows that you can problem solve and you can uh, excel but are you okay with uncertainty are you okay with you know not having all the resources at all the times and still making good decisions that's what sets people apart who are resilient and really can overcome those issues and figure out ways to balance out their life so that they're able to accomplish those things. And I think sometimes, and this is not just a university-wide problem, this goes all the way back to you know, parenting that mm-hmm. you know we're going to have to deal with now. It's like, what are the things that you want your child or your you know future children to think about, spend their time on? Like, I look at how much time I wasted in you know, high school playing video games. It's like, what was that for? Like those things don't necessarily help me. But if I have a passion for something and I want to spend that time that I'm willing to take away from something else, then that's valuable. Yeah. That creates that balance for you to be able to make those trade-offs. Well, that, that's going to be the challenge moving forward for you. That's the interesting part is that you, you can talk abstractly about these things. And I can talk about these things with high school students coming through. And then you start, watching yourself make decisions about your kid and you're like, Oh my God, I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. Right? Cause you, cause you want to reduce the possibility yes. of problems. Yep. Right. Or, or eliminate, you want to eliminate yeah. or at best or at worst reduce. Right. And yep. so you're, 
so like preschool decisions and like things like I remember the first time we went to she went to preschool and we had this discussion and like the the curriculum was handed out and um it actually it's a great school it was doing good stuff um but the, it was like the art and music like this month we're going to cover these artists and these musicians and I was like a wow I don't remember hearing about half of these now as an adult let alone in preschool um but then I looked at it and I said there's not a single woman on this list. Like, so in preschool, this idea of like modeling and like, so I started like asking questions. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm going to be that parent. Yeah. But like, this doesn't make sense to me. There are plenty of female artists. There are plenty of female musicians. Totally. Why are we not introducing any of those or let alone artists of color? And, but uh, but I was like trying to, and I I had to like limit my conversations. I was like, look, I get that things are going to go in a certain direction or like when we had a problem with a teacher about doing something like inappropriate we thought was inappropriate it was like i get that this is like probably not this is your thing but like there's there's a serious issue here and i got to figure out where i can come in and where i can't come in and what decisions i want to worry about and is she going to be liked by friends is she going to have a bad day do i want to you know is she going to be popular is she going to have friends is she going to be like all these issues come up every single day and then you have to check yourself as to when it's a good thing to step in on and these things are not microcosms of, you know, Paul's life. It's <laughs> every decision, right? These things happen at work. These things happen, oh, yeah. you know, in your uh, athletic life, like just staying healthy for yourself, nutrition, what you eat. Like these are trade-offs that we have yeah. to make, but it's not treating them necessarily as binary. You know, it's, it's easy again to get in that mindset of right, wrong, yes, no, black, white. It's... There is that gray area. Mm-hmm. And sure, I'm not going to be able to not have my kid get on a cell phone. Like, this. just the reality is, oh, like, yeah. they're going to get on that. Yeah. But limiting it and balancing it in such a way that feels like they're getting the most out of it, that's right. all you can do. And hopefully they get surrounded by good people. Back to the business school example. Yeah. I think that's your friends, your spheres of influence, that is the number one determining factor of where you're going to be in life. Like if you find those types of opportunities and those ecosystems, you are at least one order of magnitude differentiated from your peers. So we had lots of tangents there. So I, <laughs> sorry, cause I contributed to them, but so you leave Bain and is that when you start Ivy Venture Partners? Yeah. So right after uh, Bain, um, we had a friend of mine who managed Nas, the famous rapper, who said he wants to build a business. And we're like, okay, this is getting real. Right. It's not, you know, just a typical uh, idea anymore. Yeah. It's like there is a real potential. You're not side here. consulting me. Right. You're just... It's like you got to dive in. You got to build something of real value. And ironically, the first business he wanted to do was like Supreme before Supreme. It was curated sneakers. So he wanted to create his whole kind of idea around what are the coolest sneakers that people want and he wanted to do it in vegas of all places so i called my vegas uh, friends and i'm like listen i need a tentpole property in the coolest part of town because every mall in vegas looks the same they have gucci chanel prada it's not differentiated but there's an outdoor mall where that giant ferris wheel is the link yeah, yeah. and they're like look this is high footfall like you have tourists you have locals everyone shops there and we're going to give you the prime location. So they gave us the, like literally the middle property on that entire stretch of outdoor mall. 
and he crushed it. So we wrote the business plan. We raised a couple million dollars for it. He uh, curated all these cool brands like Yeezy when it was just first starting to come mm-hmm. out. Uh, we were carrying a bunch. And then uh, to fast forward to kind of how the business started to expand our business as well, Floyd Mayweather was the first client that walked in. So grand opening, he walks in with the entire 24-7 film crew because he was fighting Canelo at that time. Mm-hmm. And they're filming him walking through the store. He spent 30 grand like just buying stuff for his yeah. kids and stuff. And really, like brings out the little like briefcase exactly cash, briefcase right? of cash <laughs> and just cash, puts it on the yeah. table. It's like I want everything. So <laughs> he's being filmed, and then he walks up to Nas and he goes like, "How did you do this? Like, what was the impetus? Or who helped you?" And he points at me. I'm sitting in the corner, like in awe that you know Floyd and Nas say, are yeah. talking yeah. <laughs> like to each other. And uh, he walks over and he sees I'm wearing an Ali hat, uh, of course, and uh, it was a Muhammad Ali hat. So on the back of it, it said "Greatest of All Time," and I didn't know because I couldn't see the back, obviously. He goes, yo, uh, they're going to be saying that about me one day. I'm like, uh, what? He's like, greatest of all time. I'm like, of course, champ. And at the time, he was 47-0, and 0, already uh, greatest record. Now he's 50-0. and 0. And we're like, all right, we will help you in whatever you need help with. Just tell us. He goes, all right, fast forward two years. We're developing an entire fitness ecosystem for him. So his regimen of boxing brought to the masses. So imagine a curriculum that he has perfected over 20 years in a consumable fashion. Mm. So not your typical, you know, just go and box, not your typical go and learn how to do wraps. It's like actual cardiovascular exercise Mm -hmm. with heart rate monitors, with, you know, rope work, with bag work and personal training uh, on top of that. And then we built adjacent revenue streams around it. So VR, digital app where you're training even when you're not uh in town you can be at a hotel you can get on and keep up with your training so it became like this movement this ecosystem that was so core to him so we helped build that entire ecosystem from for somebody who frankly has never done a business outside of boxing like he's had brands and stuff but it's never been real business opportunities Mm -hmm. so that was the kind of biggest example of how do you create something for an authentic existing brand in a very adjacent field that consumers can really engage with. So now it's not just, you know, something that's only for the elite or for great athletes. It's anybody that wants to be fit can learn from his regimen. Outside of launching the, like these two examples, and I know you have more, but um, how much are you involved like to the day? Like, is it just launching it and then they off and running or are you guys still doing operations or? Yeah. So most of these businesses, especially, you know, kind of, seed stage right they call right. before you get the the large institutional investors involved we need to be wearing all the hats yeah right? you're, like you're we'll be it. the executive team we'll be the ceo cfo uh operators and then as those businesses scale and expand it goes beyond us right because frankly there's sure. only so many hours between the different clients and also the types of things that you have to do for those businesses that will bring on other operators so we'll go and hire like we did for uh, Mayweather, we'll bring on former UFC gym franchisees, like people who had actually taken UFC's gym model from four locations to 400 mm-hmm. and say, all right, you have that experience to go nationally franchise or internationally grow the business, come and do it for us. Mm-hmm. So we'll hire experts based on their you know operational skills to go and do those things or with marketing or sales, like who are the people that can actually help expand those businesses where we just don't have that skill set. Right. Cool. That's awesome, man. Uh, 
And now I have a curious question because I watched all of those fights and I watched all of those <laughs> shows. Uh, in creating this training regimen, how much were you working with the uncle and the dad? They're around. They're, you know, part of his entourage, <laughs> yeah, certainly. They're at the gym a, a lot. Um, and, you know, I think it's part of his whole story, yeah. right? Whether you love him or hate him, you can't deny that he's the fittest athlete, yeah. you know, of all time. Like he just has this unbelievable and he's got tons of vices. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like when it comes to his health and lifestyle, like in uh, the yeah. fitness world, it's unmatched. Yeah. I mean, he spends more beast. money on taking care and recovery than most professional athletes ever would like cryotherapy, you know, uh, just building his whole kind of ecosystem in himself to be at that level is a full-time job in itself. And then you bring on the psychological part of it. His persona mm-hmm. is meant to get you riled up. Oh, yeah. Totally. You know, from one side, fighting with his dad, you know, making up with his uncle, whatever it might be. Those are all part of his story. Yeah. Like, those are all part of his fascinating. way of psychologically getting everything around him to be about him. And that's what he does better than anyone is storytelling. He is a marketing genius. I mean, we have examples of this now, unfortunately, good or bad, of using platforms to do things you know for your own advantage but he's never no one's done it this well in boxing he owns the whole value chain he's the promoter the fighter the distributor he's all the content so it's crazy that's why you can make 250 million a fight yeah do you ever watch boxing um you can say no no sometimes if it's if it's all if my dad's watching it your dad like boxing if it's all, <laughs> it's, it's really the whole boxing like world is interesting because like it was huge when I was a kid. You, yeah. know, you got Tyson and Holyfield and all those other guys, and then kind of went away, and then it came back with Oscar and Mayweather, and like yeah. then I started getting back into it. And then Canelo and oh my god, just that all would these be Triple G and yeah, all these but guys. Now, it's, now it's kind of gone again. And yeah. I'm like, I was like, why was I into it? Because I'm just I consider myself like the average consumer. Like, what attracts me? Why did it attract me? Yeah. And then that's what I always think about when we do our stuff. It's like, okay, what would be attractive? Like, I just think of like what got me interested. It's storylines. It's totally storylines. And the whole dad uncle thing, like, it was fast. Cause I grew, like, I, I really got into it because Oscar's story, you gotta love Golden Boy. Yep. And then all of a sudden, he fights the bad guy. Mayweather's the bad guy. Yep. And when he comes out with the Mexican flag at that one fight in Staples Center, I was like, this guy, kill him. Yeah. Like kill him now. Yeah. And then he dominates and I hate him. And then all of a sudden you get Pacquiao coming in and they're like, I don't like Pacquiao. And I'm like, <laughs> and then you get into Mayweather and you're like, Oh, it's just all these storylines. It just keeps going. It's like wrestling. Remember? And that was totally. fake. Totally. It was like as manufacturers as you can get. These are like guys putting their lives on the line now. So mm-hmm. it's a very different world. You see what UFC is doing. I mean, mm-hmm. one guy, Dana White has created this entire ecosystem mm-hmm. and I'll harken back to the engineering side of this because I think it's interesting. The chemistry of this, we would consider as alchemy, right? It's not real chemistry because there is an art and a science. There is the what does the market need? What is the demand? What can you price it at? What can you sell it for? And then there's the unknowns, all those things that you have no idea. There's an art and feeling to it. There's this like engaging thing. There's psychological, you know, nuanced moves that they make to make all those things actually go. And there's very few people who can do it at that level. Mm-hmm. 
Floyd is one of those. So you're off doing, I know we're getting really late, so I know you need to get going pretty soon, right? But um, you can come with me to my investor conference afterwards. You can come <laughs> with you with the mic. Just exactly. keep you going. Um, but real quick, so you're doing all the stuff with Ivy Venture now. Is, is that where you're at now? Or are you doing something new? Because I feel like yeah. I got a new email address for you. Yeah, and I don't so know. I have my own like firm now specifically okay. focused on a few clients. So okay. what we said is kind of the Jerry Maguire model, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you can go big agency and broad, or you can go super deep with a few people. So what we've decided to do is create a new brand called August uh, Ventures, which is really focused primarily um, with Beyonce. So it's identifying, again, credible opportunities for her audience, which is probably even bigger internationally uh, than Floyd's and bigger certainly than most uh, human beings. But <laughs> she talk about credibility. Like when she talks about something, and she's not your typical celeb when it comes to that stuff. She's not on her social media talking about products or, you know, in any way commercializing her existence. If nothing else, she wants to keep her family life and her business uh, and creative careers very separate. So we are now looking at the business side from a very 360 lens. What are all the things that she can do that make her a business mogul as much as she's been a creative mogul? And you can think about all the verticals that she'd want to get into fashion, beauty, you know, lifestyle, athletics, you know, all the things that she's done. She had a baby. She had twins within eight months. She was at Coachella doing one of the most unbelievable performances that you'll ever see. And she did all that while thinking about the business side of it. Obviously, you know, her team is incredible because they're like, who cares if she makes a million dollars more or less with Coachella? We want the rights to this so that we can go and what they did exactly, sell it to Netflix. So those types of nuanced moves that you don't see or hear about are what we're trying to focus on is identifying opportunities that have differentiated returns that have real impact on a large scale. What other than the general idea of problem solving, what do you take from a from an engineering degree, chemical engineering degree to what you're doing now? I think the alchemy of it, Mm. like being okay with not seeing something Mm. comes from, you know, a chemistry background, right? You don't see the atoms, you don't see the elements, but you know, they're there and you know that there's things happening, which you can study uh, that will help you data is going to help you, but you got to make it work. And that idea of being okay with uncertainty was probably the biggest thing in business for me. It's, identifying ways to create some semblance of an answer without having all the variables even defined. So, and I think that's what most business is like, you know, beyond the relationships, which are again, probably the most variables is that human connection, but then all the other things that you don't necessarily see um, that you have to figure out legal liabilities, you know, policy decisions, ideas and changing ecosystems are, industries that we look at now change every single year yeah like beauty we mentioned uh from uh the beyonce example that industry has changed night and day you had five or six players forever right you had the revlons and estee lauders of the world who are just the behemoths and no one else now you have hundreds of brands who are all doing important things for their niche audiences and the ones who can really explode and become not just a niche, but like billion dollar unicorn uh, style businesses are the ones who connect with their audiences 
in some alchemy kind of way, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that you wouldn't necessarily think of. I'll give you one example uh, to kind of close this line of thought. Have you heard of a brand called Drunk Elephant? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tiffany Masterson. $200 sunscreen. Exactly. Tiffany Masterson, stay-at-home mom, who basically said, I'm going to go and create better skincare products. Mm-hmm. Cool. Not a novel idea. Everyone's thought about that. Better sunscreens, organic, all these things, all these buzzwords. What she did was say, I'm only going to focus on a subset of the population that knows my life, that yeah. knows my lifestyle. And she's from Texas. You know, She understands what her customers needed and sold it directly to them to start. When the others started to figure out, oh, my God, we need to sell these types of products. Sephora started carrying her. She started being you know, a major brand in herself. That's when Shiseido came knocking and said, we're a Japanese behemoth. We can't do this ourselves, not in you know a reasonable time frame. We will buy you out for eight times revenue, which is almost unheard of wow. in the beauty space. The typical revenue multiples for businesses like that, the valuations, are four times. So she almost doubled wow. the valuation multiple just by virtue of building a very credible brand for herself. That's crazy. So that's alchemy. <laughs> that's a so long-winded way of saying you're 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 creating things. Yeah. Like that's the thing. So engineering is always about stuff that never was there before. And so you're you're basically you're not reading tea leaves, but you're understanding elements. Yes. And you're understanding the interplay of those elements. You're experimenting, but you're not doing so in a vacuum, like you would in a chemistry totally. lab. You're doing it in real life, and you've got other type of multifaceted factors: human factors, social factors, political issues, yeah. economics marketplace changing all these different things that come into play and you're creating something whether and it may or may not be a physical product but when you're talking about a service or you're talking about some sort of experience it's it's all a thing that's it and do so again if i had to hypothesize what has made me kind of more focused now than ever it's what engages with people because Mm -hmm. their decision making is going to vary day to day and even their types of things that they look at change every single day, engage with people in a way that others can't do. Mm-hmm. If you can create a back and forth that is genuine, you're going to have that customer for life. And that's way more valuable than having 100 customers who don't really care about you know, what you're selling next. Right. So that psychology of it, and it comes down to energy. I've started to get into this back to the physics side of this beyond the chemistry. There is a whole set of energy levels that people, human beings, put out there mm. that are either positive or negative or neutral. Surround yourself with that positive side of it. And mm. there's a great book. If you haven't read it, you should absolutely check it out. Have you heard of uh, Joe Dispenza? The Dr. Joe. Yeah. Calm Dr. Joe. This guy had a horrific biking accident, was paralyzed, uh, full body. And the doctor's like, listen, you're never going to walk again, but we can put you in traction and help you. Um, he's like, I don't want it. He created his own uh, uh, infrastructure in his house. He was a he was a background in um, not engineering, but like uh, human um, performance. Ergonomics. Or, yeah, uh, what do they call it when you do uh, basically PT? Yeah, like physical, physical therapy, therapy, kinesiology. But, but he had a master's. Like he was, yeah. you know, well well versed in this. He built his own bed at home where it could move, so he can get blood flow to the right parts of the body. And this is him describing it. This is not me <laughs> talking about it. He basically said he was able to use his mind and energy to recreate his bone structure. What? Exactly. It sounds insane, <laughs> but, 
but not a single doctor touched him. He didn't take any medicines, and he was able to reconstruct his entire spine with this quote-unquote bed that he created and six months of just meditative, hardcore energy thinking. And he has a book. He's written several now, but there's a book called Becoming Supernatural around this. So that's his own personal story. Sure. Then he expands on it to a second book, which is uh, basically the, the art of that breaking the habit of being yourself is the second book. Huh. It's basically how do you take that same mental acuity and apply it to the people around you? So again, using that positive mindset hmm. to affect others, hopefully in positive ways rather than right, the right. negative, which a lot of charlatans do. Yeah. And it's fascinating because it's all about energy levels. And it's not just how you look at someone or how you smile at someone. Those are important. But it's like, are you a good person? Mm-hmm. Like, are you actually having good thoughts mm-hmm. and putting those things out in the universe? And it's unbelievable how the impact works. And he wow. has tons of studies behind it. It's fascinating read. That's awesome. It, Worth it, checking out. The last thing, because you mentioned it earlier, and I want to give you a moment to talk about the Emerging Leaderboard. Yeah, so that is probably one of my favorite projects uh, that keeps me so close to home here at SC is uh, this board that was uh, really kind of the brainchild of Dean Yortzos, who said, we as a community need to do a better job of engaging young alumni. So, you know, typically when giving takes place within organizations or universities, it's after decades, right? right? It's like once you've made and it, quote unquote. Typical advisory boards are very old men. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like there's no, that semblance of diversity from age, you know, and backgrounds, it's just not there. So he's like, listen, we need to create this and do so in a manner that is representative of what the school is becoming, right? And with uh, gender parity now, here, it's like, what better time to see all this stuff happening? So about seven years ago, he came up with a concept Within a couple of years, we had 30 people on our board. And I'm talking all, not only fields of engineering from civil to uh, aerospace, but Marshall, we had business school people. We've had, uh, I think, people from Dornsife, like all parts of USC represented in a young alumni way and doing events that foster that connection between the school and the community. Yeah. So not just... Giving back, that's a part of it, but it's giving your time. It's, you know, mentoring. It's creating internship opportunities, new, you know, mentorship roles that you might not even thought of, um, you know, for people who are just out of school. So you're the initial chair. Yeah. And then you're still involved. Still involved. I'm emeritus, as they call old people now. (laughs) Um, But uh, amazing Tracy is uh, now chair, and she is spearheading our unbelievable growth i mean we now have basically two chapters la and uh uh, northern california so we've got all of california pretty much covered from a engineering standpoint and like i said the cross-disciplinary stuff is what we're trying to build it's creating that understanding that engineers shouldn't be in silos and just working on problem solving there are business implications and social implications of everything that we do so Mm -hmm. let's bring those disciplines together and do so in a way that the younger generation cares about because that's all that's what mm-hmm. the school is going to start to look like i mean at mm-hmm. the end of the day you want that to be the draw you don't want it to be the stodgy old you know what people imagined what universities should be this is mm-hmm. a dynamic place yeah very proud to say student ambassador alumni 
Yes. Make up a good chunk of that Yobi. <laughs> it's self-selecting almost. It's yeah, like you know they have the you ability keep, to... You keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paul just created just... a monster. Now it's uh, how do we how do we control and rein it in? Yeah. But this fun. has been super fun. Thank you guys Thanks for, for, thanks for coming, you. man. Oh All right. Oh, he's a cool guy, isn't he? Yeah, really cool. Very smart, you can tell. <laughs> he is very smart. It got, I went home after that day we recorded it, and I was like reliving a lot of the conversation in my mm-hmm. head. And just, first off, I don't know if you picked up on this, but you see how good he is with people he's never met before? Like, yes. he made you feel like you're his best friend? Definitely, definitely. And I was thinking back on this, is that like that's one of his skill sets. And it's not at all fake. He means it. Like, he wants to get to know you. He remembers things. Yeah. He, Engages you. You can tell that's why he's such a great and successful business uh, person, uh, and and incredibly smart. He does his homework. Like he knew the episode number. He did. We didn't know the episode, but also we weren't sure at that. We weren't point. sure at the time because he it doesn't know our recording structure. Yeah. But like he was like, he's listened <laughs> to episodes. He's in on it. Yeah. Uh, Ollie, if you're listening now, you're the best, buddy. And and Truly. there's a lot of really cool skill sets to pull from Ali about passion, about um, kind of just investigating things that are interesting um, about following his nose and having a sense of taste. I think that's actually mm-hmm. a really important thing about like what can be successful, what can't be successful, but having at the same time, while there's that aesthetic principle and interpersonal skills or what some engineers would call soft skills. I don't like that term, but this idea of having those soft skills. Um, but behind it all, the minute you ask another question, whether it's relating to metrics or whether it's relating to any level of math to see it all the way through, we talked about like regression on a business he, he knows how to get into it and right. he knows that he's going to be able to do it. So there, there's some people that I think believe that you have to be kind of a schmoozy business person to be successful in business. And that's not true, but having this idea of the analytical background, but knowing how to connect with people and knowing how to take great care, Ollie could give a masterclass. In this yeah. Stuff. Yeah. And I think kind of on the flip side of that though, a theme I've noticed in these episodes and in some of the reminiscing we've done oh, the, this the semester. old man memory, the, the yes. trip memory lane that I keep going down. This is a positive <laughs> thing though, but I think it does really speak volumes to kind of the connections you can make here yeah. and um, how strong those relationships are. And um, all he said throughout this episode, like much of his success is attributed to kind of the people you meet and mm-hmm. those friendships you make. So um, I think that's, uh, an important lesson, not just for people looking to go into business, but anyone at USC and any engineer, because it's so easy to write that off when mm-hmm. it seems like we have so much, so many harder things to do than like make friends, I guess. <laughs> but um, was it? Correct me if I'm wrong, but what he was the he talked about kind of the alchemy of it, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Like the alchemy yeah. of just things that would happen here because it was just the right mix of the right things in the right time and he talks about his friends they lived in the house and the classes he was taking and just how that kind of just bubbled to the top as long as you're paying attention as long as you're engaging that's that's it yeah totally so i think that's an important note but yeah it's a great conversation well Hopefully we'll come back soon with more alumni conversations. I know we have another one slated to come up in a couple weeks. So I hope you enjoy these alumni conversations. And uh, given that this is coming up right at the beginning of the holidays, uh, happy holidays to everyone. I hope you're starting to enjoy a a healthy and restful break. (laughs) And if you have yet to apply, just uh, don't forget that if you're applying for the first year application deadline, that is going to be January 15th of 2020. So if you have some time over the break, 
wrap up those applications, please go ahead and do so at, at uh, our website. You can learn more about it, viterbiadmission.usc.edu slash apply. Awesome.